Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we've been talking about balance. And the way we've defined balance is it's the ability in life to stay upright when it would be easier to fall. It's the same thing physically uh, in the sense that if you learn how to walk on a balance beam or you learn how to walk on a tightrope, it demands respect. People see that and they say, that's pretty cool. And the reason they say it's cool is because they know Yeah, if I did that, it'd be a lot easier for me to fall than it'd be for me to do what they're doing. And we've said that this is true in our spiritual and our emotional life as well. There are areas where it's very easy for us to fall down, um, metaphorically, in those areas of our life. And to be able to stand, to find, or we could say it this way, to find the right approach when there are so many possible wrong approaches, that's balance, and it's an uncommon thing, right? We said in the first week, we said it's, it's interesting that if somebody says you're unbalanced, it's, it's, it's really a terrible insult because we have this idea in our culture that almost everybody is balanced and there's just a few people out there that are unbalanced. Turns out to be just you know profoundly untrue that actually the majority of us are unbalanced and it's the real rare exception for someone to really live a life of balance. But that's what God has called us to. God has called us to find the right approach. The Bible talks about righteousness, God's righteousness. That is his balance, that God always takes the right approach. And being Christ-like means I gotta do that as much as I possibly can. I need to get as close to God as quickly as I can, and that means that I need to pursue finding the right approach when there is so much temptation to go in a bad direction. So we've been kind of talking about that as we've gone through the series. In case you haven't been with us, uh, I'll try to get you caught up real quick. In week one, we talked about the fact that, that uh, balance is not like a, like a personality trait. It's not something that comes baked in. Nobody is born uh, balanced. We have to develop it. It's something that, that you have to work at. Um, and so we said that just like physical balance, just like the things that you learn to do that involve physical balance, you have to practice it. You have to take one step at a time and you're gonna fall down as you try to develop balance. Uh, but the, the key is getting back up again and trying again and practicing again. And the Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. So as a God follower, I know every day when I get up, I have a whole new set of opportunities to practice my balance, to practice my balance with my family, to practice it with my finances, to practice it in my work. Whatever God puts in my life, there's an opportunity to practice my balance. I'm gonna fail sometimes, but I'm also gonna have successes. And the more of those successes I string together, the more balance is going to become part of who I am as a person. Then in the second week, we said that we need to be intentional about balance. There is no such thing as balance by the seat of your pants, that there actually requires focus and intentionality. I've got a plan to be focused, and the short-term plan, or I have to plan to be balanced, and the short-term plan for uh, balance is where I put my focus. Where am I looking? And we said in week two that we need to be cautious to look where we're going because we're going where we're looking. So human beings are not designed to look in one direction and go in another. We don't do that very successfully. So if I want to go in a direction, I need to be looking in that direction. The Bible says that it doesn't, it's not necessarily that we can look in the direction of the final destination that we're trying to get to. It's that we can look to a person who will take us to that destination. God will will lead us to that destination. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that we are to look to Jesus, the author and finisher 
of our faith. What does it mean that he's the author and finisher? It means he's created the idea of a balanced life. He's created that balanced beam, and he's also walked across it successfully in front of us to show us how to do it. And if we follow in his footsteps, and if we look to him, we can actually experience that balance. In week three, we talked about sort of a long-term plan to be intentional with your balance, and that is where Proverbs says that we're to mark out a straight path and then we're to stay on that path. And we said in order to mark out a path, you have to have both self-awareness and goal awareness. I gotta know where I'm at right now. I've gotta be aware of how I am in relationships. I've gotta be aware of how I deal with things, how I think about things, my thoughts, my words, my actions. And then I've gotta know where is it that I wanna go? Where is the destination that I'm trying to get to? If I have those two points, I can draw a straight line. But then maybe even the, the harder bit is actually following the line that, I, that I've drawn, staying true to that. And we talked last week about the fact that the reason that's hard is because we tend to drift. But God has given us instructions to help us recalibrate. The drifting is normal, but if we leave the drift to itself, we'll get way off the path. But that a, a God follower keeps bringing it back to center, keeps bringing it back to the Lord. And uh, so that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to take it up a notch, and we're gonna talk about the thing that sometimes makes balance really difficult, even if you feel like you're doing a good job working in those three areas, and, and you've, got, you've, you've gotten some victory in those three areas, and yet you're still feeling like you're going through a season where balance is particularly difficult for you. And you might say, Jonathan, if it was somebody else going through what I'm going through right now, they might be fine, but for me, I'm just having a really hard time finding balance in the situation that I'm in. And when I think about that, I think about, um, I, I've told this group before, I'm afraid of falling from heights. I've learned to say it that way. Because when I would say before, when I would preach, I'm afraid of heights, people would get confused. It's like, don't you fly everywhere? Yeah, when I travel, I fly. And I love being on airplanes. I got no issue with that. I'll, I'll go up to those places where, you know, you go up 40 floors in a building and they have like the angled glass so you can sort of like do this and look down. That doesn't bother me at all either because I literally am not afraid that I'm going to fall. The height itself doesn't bother me. What bothers me is not having something to hold on to, not having something to believe will keep me from falling. So I can do that 40-story building thing. What I struggle to do is getting on top of the roof of my house and put Christmas lights on. <laughs> and I provide some gentle comedy for the whole neighborhood whenever I do put Christmas lights on. I I, the last couple of years I've gotten out of it. I've given my, my family you know, excuses. I'm sorry, I'm so busy, I can't do that. But the truth is, I just don't like being up there on the roof. And um, I, uh, uh, so in both, in, in both neighborhoods where we've lived, I, I think I, I provide some, uh, some good times for the neighbors because I don't stand on the, on the roof. I just can't do that. I have an issue with standing. So I'll get up there, but I will scooch around on my rear end the whole time I'm up there. I'm literally putting Christmas lights on from a sitting position the whole time. And that looks kind of odd, to be honest with you. And, uh, so I, and, and when we moved out of our old neighborhood, they, I think they were really sad. They're like, we don't get to watch this. It's like a Christmas tradition, you know? But so I think it was... I think it was 2020, the last time I was putting Christmas lights on the house. And I'm on the side of the house that is hardest for me because we have one of those homes, and many of you do, where on the one side, the dirt is built up around it. So if you're looking over the side of the house, it's really only one floor and it's not too bad. But on the other side of the house, it kind of curves around the basement and so you have a much bigger drop. And I'm on that side of the house, I'm right against the edge. And because of what I have to adjust, I have to stand up. I don't really have a choice, I've gotta stand up. now. 
if you if you're on roofs and I what I get ready what I'm getting ready to tell you you would probably say if if you're used to walking on a roof you say Jonathan you were in the most secure po- possible position you could be because I had the way I had to be I was at the apex of the roof so I had one foot on the side of the roof that slopes this way and the other foot on the side of the roof that slopes this way but I got to tell you uh, I I felt like you know maybe the Lord should just take me then I, I was like I I uh, I'm. It's very, very, it was very, very difficult for me. For the average person, it might not have been challenging, but for me, it was really, really challenging. And I don't know if you're going through something in your life right now where you're like, Jonathan, that balance thing is really hard for me right now because I'm just up against something I'm not comfortable with. Maybe somebody else would be, but I'm not comfortable with this. And it's pushing me to my absolute edge. Because if that's where you are, I wanna tell you it's probably not just the skill of balance that you're struggling with, it's probably not just your focus, it's probably not just marking out a straight path. What you're probably up against is you're probably dealing with the fact that you have an enemy that wants to push you off balance, aggressively. This isn't just about the challenge of balance by itself. This is about the fact that you have an opponent who in the middle of your, your trying to balance is gonna be coming up against you trying to push you off. When I was 10 or 11, there was a new TV show that came out. It was called American Gladiators. I, I only saw like one or two episodes of it, but it's hard to forget that show. There were, um, they were, there were these guys who were like bodybuilders, and, and it was interesting to me because I anticipated that I would be a bodybuilder, and uh, as you can see, I'm, I'm now saving that joy for retirement. But, um, <laughs> They would be on these, they would be on these two, these guys would be on these two platforms and they would have the giant Q-tips. Do you remember the giant Q-tips that they're trying to like poke each other off of the, of the platforms with? And that's how I feel like it is with Satan. I feel like it's already hard enough to stand on the platform, but it's another thing entirely to have somebody who's trying to knock you off of it. And that's what the Bible tells us about Satan. Not only does the Bible tell us that Satan wants to knock you off the platform, the Bible tells us that he is working out strategies to do that. Check this out, Ephesians chapter six, the final word. By the way, forgive me for breaking into this. Paul, Paul does this in the epistles multiple times. He'll say um, uh, a final word. He'll say um, finally this. Uh, there's, there's multiple times that he'll kind of use that term final in there somewhere. And I used to think it was like a PS that Paul would put. Oh, and I almost forgot to tell you, you know, this. Um, that's what Bible scholars tell us it's the opposite of what it is. When Paul says a final word, what he's saying is, and here is the grand finale. This is the big thing. Don't miss this. He says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand. That's what we've been talking about in the series, to stand when others would fall. Stand firm against all the what? The strategies of the devil. If you think of Satan as a little guy who runs around in red PJs with horns and a pitchfork, I need to sort of recalibrate your view of Satan. Satan is a strategist. He's a chess player. He's not a goofy guy running around with that caricatured idea that we got from the cartoons. No, he's thinking five moves ahead. If I can get him to do this, then maybe I can get him to do this, then maybe I can get him to do this. Satan's interested in the long game. He's not interested in the short game. He's interested in the long game. And he wants to get you out of kingdom living, which is something that I don't think I've preached on a lot before, but what kingdom living is, if you, if you look in the gospels, you'll see Jesus talking over and over about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven this, the kingdom of heaven that. And the disciples didn't know what that was about. They thought that meant that Jesus was gonna set up a, a literal kingdom here on earth. They were very concerned with who was gonna get cabinet positions um, and, and they were way off in the weeds on this. What Jesus was talking about here is that when a person comes to faith in him, 
So when you become a believer in Jesus Christ and a God follower, you are now a dual citizen. I'm a citizen of America. I have my citizenship in the United States of America, very thankful for the nation in which I live, and I'm under the authority of the United States of America. But I am also, at the moment that I become a believer in Jesus Christ, a citizen of heaven. I don't live there yet, but I'm a citizen of heaven, which means that I am under the kingship of God. God, the king of kings, is now also my king. And so the closest I will get to heaven on earth is to choose to behave like a citizen of heaven. If I behave like a citizen of heaven, I will get the closest to heaven on earth that I will ever have this side of heaven. And so that's why Jesus kept talking about people. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's how things operate in the kingdom of heaven. It's like a roadmap to start living as though you are a citizen of heaven, which you are once you come to faith in Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the ways to miss out on the best parts of being a God follower is to live like a citizen of earth and forget that you are already a citizen of heaven. And so, but the thing is, that is exactly what Satan wants. Satan wants you to not know that you're a citizen of heaven. He wants you to completely live as a citizen of earth and he wants to extract out of you any productivity that you would have for God in this side of heaven. Because here's the deal, he cannot take heaven away from you. Satan cannot take heaven away from you. He cannot take your destiny, your future with God away from you. But what he will do is he will mess with you to try to take away your effectiveness on earth away from you. And the Bible says he has strategies. He has plans. He's a long-term thinker. How can I take away their productivity? The Bible says, so it's important that we know about that because we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And in 2023 America, I wish we could get that through our heads, that we don't have flesh and blood enemies. People are never our enemies. Now, sometimes people will say to me, well, now, Jonathan, the Bible's contradictory on that because doesn't Jesus say that we're to love our enemies? Well, the way that that is written, if you look at the original language, it basically says to love people who set themselves up as our enemies. So people who choose to be our enemies, but the thing is, they can choose to be our enemies, but we don't have any human enemies. A person can choose to set themselves up against me, but if I'm a true God follower, I, I don't have flesh and blood enemies. I got, I got much bigger problems than that. So we can get so fixated on people and think people are our problem, but, but the problem is much bigger than that. The Bible says what we really are fighting against is evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, because that's the kind of battle that we're in, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. If you feel like Satan has really been strategizing with me because I'm in that spot trying to balance and I feel like it's harder than I can handle, um, here's what you need to know. You need to know, number one, there is an enemy. The Bible says there is an enemy. So I have some people who say, well, no, no, Jonathan, Satan I think is more of a metaphor, a state of mind, an antagonist to the protagonist of God. Um, it's, it's not literal. Well, that's problematic because if that's true, then Jesus in the Gospels had a conversation with a metaphor. If you go to the temptation of Jesus, Jesus has a literal conversation with a literal person who is Satan. Though we have a real enemy, an honest to goodness enemy that is out to get us. Number two, there will be a time of evil. That's taken from the verse. I would say there will be times of evil. What I mean by that is there will be times in your life where evil will confront you that you did not go looking for. Now, if you go looking for evil, you will find it. There's the biblical principle for you. If you go looking for evil, you'll find it. But I want you to know that you don't have to go looking for evil for evil to impact your life. Evil will come and find you. And so that's why, that's why it says in this passage, you need to put on the armor of God and don't be unguarded because just because you didn't go looking for problems doesn't mean they won't show up at your doorstep. And all of us know that. We've lived that. We know that evil will, it will come find you. 
And then the third thing is, if I'm unwilling to capitulate, and as a child of God, I cannot be willing to capitulate. When Satan shows up at my doorstep, I can't just give in. So if I'm not gonna give in, there's gonna be a battle. And if there's gonna be a battle, then I need to be prepared for it. Proverbs 4, 27, we've been in Proverbs 4 for the last few weeks. It says, keep your feet from following evil. What does that word keep mean? It means I'm gonna actually have to do this. I'm gonna have to fight this battle. If, if, I just, if I just go along with whatever Satan throws my way, my feet are gonna get completely off track. If I'm gonna choose to keep my feet from following evil, I'm gonna have to fight this battle. Peter says this, he says, stay alert, watch out. For whose enemy? Your great enemy, not the enemy, not Satan. Look how personal this is. This is personalized, your enemy. He wants your trophy on the wall. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So we're gonna talk about how God encourages us to be strong, and he encourages us to be strong by using the armor of God, and these are metaphors. He's, he's gonna give military metaphors that would have made perfect sense at the time for how he wants us to prepare ourselves for a spiritual battle. Some of these metaphors don't carry as much weight in our current culture because we don't have maybe the same sort of implements of battle, um, but I wanna try to break them down for you because for me, the more concrete something can be, the more I can use it. So I'm gonna try to make this more concrete for us. But first, let's just look at this passage. This is in Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of, of evil. So it says you need to put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, as I said, we have several metaphors here and we need to make them something that we can use. How can we understand what, what Paul was talking about here? Well, the first thing is the belt of truth. And military guys at the time would have completely understood what this was uh, all about. Because men at that time in the Roman culture wore long and flowy robes. As a teenager, I didn't understand what that was all about. Uh, at this age, now that I have a dad bod, I understand wearing long and flowy garments. When I, when I get to the department store, I'm like, show me the men's maternity section. I need to look for the pregnancy <laughs> shirts. I've got a belly to hide. Um, but they would wear these long flowy garments. But you know this, that you're not going to do anything very active while you're wearing something long and flowy. Athletes don't wear long and flowy clothes when they're competing at track meets. If you're a machinist or you work in some sort of manufacturing environment, you know that one of the first things that people will start looking at you like, what are you, crazy? Is if you're wearing loose clothing around machines. Anytime you're doing something that requires agility, that requires for you to get in and mean business and do something active, um, you don't want that. And so what these guys would do, they wear this very thick leather belt, and when it was time for them to go into battle or was when there was something they needed to do that required agility, they would tuck in all of the loose ends into that belt and secure them down, tie them down so that then they had the ability to go in and fight the battle. So what is it that secures all the loose ends of our life when we're getting ready to go into a spiritual battle? The Bible says it's truth. Truth is what we tuck in all the loose ends to. And I think that's what's, I think it's important for us in our culture to understand that because I think in our culture, we've gotten a little bit too uncomfortable with leaving the loose ends of, leaving, leaving truth just to a bunch of loose ends. You know, this is what God says, this is what the culture says, I don't know. It just is what it is. I'm just gonna leave that as it is. The Bible says, well, you can do that, but you're not gonna be very effective at fighting spiritual battles. Because ultimately, 
fighting a spiritual fighting a fear, fighting a spiritual battle starts with loyalty to the truth. Proverbs says this: Get the truth, meaning that we don't start out with the truth. You have to go looking for it, and then never sell it. Now that's an interesting phrase. Never sell it. What does it mean to sell the truth? Well, what it means is. I, there are certain things in life that I could get if I was willing to give up the truth in order to get it. I might be able to get a job or to keep my job um, by compromising on the truth. Or I might be able to make somebody in my life happy by compromising on the truth. I might be able to remain part of a social group if I compromise on the truth. But what we're hearing from Proverbs is whatever it is that you have to sell the truth to buy, you got a bad deal. It was a bad deal if you can't hold on to the truth. So we're supposed to get the truth and then prize it, right? When I, when I think about getting something and never selling it, doesn't that make you think of like somebody who's a collector who buys something and says, that one, you know, when, when you go into a collector's house and you say, is that one for sale? And they go, no, 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 that one I'm never gonna sell. I got that, but I'm never gonna sell that. That's what I think Proverbs is like. No, 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 no. The truth is, is not for sale. It, I, I had to work very hard to get that and I'm not, I'm not turning loose of it. 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. I read that chapter at every wedding that I perform. It talks about what true love is. It says that true love doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. What does it mean to rejoice in the truth? Because now the Bible's saying, don't just, don't just get the truth, um, don't just keep it and not sell it, but also rejoice in the truth. It means that my loyalty is to the truth. I'm excited about the truth. I want the truth to come out. And one of the things that's concerning for me in our culture, and I'm gonna try not to hop on this soapbox for too long because I talked about it probably more than I needed to in the last service. But I think in, in Christian circles, especially in our culture, there is loyalty to things other than, than the truth. There's loyalty to political parties. There's loyalty to people. And it's almost like whatever that person says is good with me. Whatever this commentator says is good with me. Whatever this political figure says is good with me. Or whatever this party says, I'm, I'm gonna rubber stamp that because that's my party. Can I tell you, none of us can afford to be unilaterally loyal to a party or to a person. Ultimately, our loyalty needs to be to the truth. And that's hard. It's very hard. And I could talk about the psychological reasons why it's easier for us to accept the truth if it is what we want to hear versus what we don't wanna hear. But Christians need to lead the way on saying, we wanna hear the truth if it's what we wanna hear, if it's not what we wanna hear, the truth. Why? Because what did Jesus say? I am the way, the what? The truth and the light. So I don't get closer to God by blocking the truth out. I don't get closer to God by saying, I don't really wanna hear that. The, the important thing is saying, I'm gonna rejoice when the truth comes to light. It may be unpleasant, but ultimately, I understand the importance of the truth and it's important to me that it comes out. Then in Zechariah, how's, how's this for talking about speaking the truth? This is what you must do, tell the truth. It's pretty clear. Why? Because if I don't tell the truth, I, I block off myself from reality. I begin to build a wall. I, I saw this with the couples that I worked with back when I was doing couples counseling. Little white lies are like little bricks that you start to build up a little wall between you and the other person. Every little white lie I tell, um, you know, I did, there was no milk at Dylan's, um, so I wasn't able to pick any up versus I forgot to stop at Dylan's, but I don't wanna make you mad, so I'm not gonna tell you that I forgot to stop there. Every little brick that I, every little white lie becomes a brick, and, and every brick that I put up means that you see less and less of the real me, and you see more and more of the dummy me that I put out there that is what I want you to see. And I, I, I've decided the, the me that you should see and the real me is very different. 
I promise you, you will lose your spiritual battle because once Satan knows that the real you is, is not transparent, he can get you to do all kinds of stuff you wouldn't otherwise do. Speaking the truth is very important. Thinking about the truth is important. Paul said this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is the same thing I was talking about before. He's like, ta-da, here's the grand finale. Fix your thoughts, and he's gonna give them a whole long list of what to think about. But look at what the very first thing on the list is. Fix your thoughts on what is what? What is true? Wow, we would, our world would change if we would begin to ask ourselves, is what I'm thinking right now true? Especially what I'm thinking about myself. Some of us go around thinking such negative things about ourselves. I'm a failure, I'm a moron, I'm never gonna get this right, I'm never gonna. And we need to begin to ask ourselves, is that God's truth? Is that true about me? Or we, be, or we think things about others and it causes us to have problems in relationships or we come to beliefs about others and we start to have problems in relationships and we need to begin to ask ourselves, now wait a minute, what I'm allowing myself to think about this situation, about this person, about myself, is that really true? Is that what God would say is true about that? I mean, it's hugely important because it begins to, that thing I talked about last week where we begin to recalibrate to God instead of getting drawn off the path, so much of that is about asking myself, is this true? Because if I, if, if I fight for the truth, I'm gonna end up being on my way to approaching God. Not only that, but truth is the key to freedom. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people, if you're truly my disciples, if you, uh, you are truly my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. It is the key. The truth is the key to the handcuffs. So you have the key to the handcuffs that hold you. If there is a lie in your life that is holding you hostage, and lies do hold you hostage, then it's not as though you need to wait for somebody to unlock the handcuffs that hold you. You have the key. The truth is the key to the handcuffs. The Bible says once we know and approach the truth, we can experience real freedom. Doesn't mean that we're free from consequences, but what it does mean is that we're free from bondage. So the belt of truth, that's about the fact that I won't get tripped up if I follow the truth. The next part is the body armor of God's righteousness. Now what is that? In battle, guys would wear this sort of torso shield. And it would either be made out of metal or most commonly it would be made out of like really thick tanned leather with oil. But it was there to protect this part of your body. Why? Because there are some vital organs here that you really cannot afford to have damaged. Your heart and lungs and your intestines, all that stuff. Especially at a time where there was no surgical medical care. You just didn't want anything in this area getting wounded. And so they would wear this as a, as a way of protecting the most important parts of themselves. So why use righteousness? Why, why compare this shield that guys would wear to righteousness. It is about the fact that our heart is too valuable to leave unguarded. This is about the fact that our heart is, as a matter of fact, in Proverbs it says, guard your heart. It says, actually says that above all else. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it come the issues of life. So the way that I live is based off of what's in my heart, but what's in my heart is going to be a mess if I don't guard my heart. How many of us know that our heart is bombarded by all kinds of stuff and if we swing the door wide open and let whatever happens to be going through social media and through our television set and whatever happens to be um, influential and sending information into our life, if we leave that door wide open, our heart is gonna be a mess and so our life is gonna be a mess because your heart is always the, the seeds from which your life is gonna spring. And so we have to put that guard at the door of our heart and say not everything can, not everything can rent room in here. I'm not just letting any old thing come into my heart. And so the body armor of righteousness is saying, all right, the guard that I'm gonna place at the door of my heart is the, is the question, is this right? Am I, am I doing what is right? 
And if I ever struggle to know, am I doing what is right? I have to ask myself, does this line up with God's character? It, God's character is right, so and what, I, and what I'm getting ready to do, will this please God? Or will this displease God? And if I put that at the door of my heart and say, I'm not letting that in because that displeases God. I am letting that in because that pleases God. Then our life will begin to come out of that and our life will begin to be something that is in line with God's character. Romans 6 says this, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? So Paul's talking about the fact that we're forgiven for the sins that we've, that we've committed, but Paul's saying, so then should we use that forgiveness and basically run God over like a steamroller and say, well, thank you for forgiving me and now I'm gonna live with no respect to you and I don't care about you and I'm gonna do my own thing? And Paul says, of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. What Paul is saying is, whatever you obey is going to classify your future. Your future is wrapped up in whatever you choose to obey. So if I choose to obey Satan, my future is gonna be wrapped up in Satan. If I choose to obey God, my future is gonna be wrapped up in God. Paul's saying that's why it's so important that we make a choice about who our loyalty and our obedience is gonna to be to. So the, the body armor of righteousness is I just, I can't afford to leave my heart unprotected. The shoes of readiness, which we get from the gospel of peace. This takes a little bit of, of explanation. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of God's word that says that even though um, I came into this world disenfranchised and separated from a holy God and on a collision course with hell, because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross that paid for everything that I've done wrong, I can have a relationship with God and a future in heaven even though I don't deserve it. Nothing that I've done merits a future with God, but through Jesus, because God wants to have a relationship with me, I have that opportunity, I have that ability. That is the gospel, that is the good news. Now, so let's keep following this along. So the peace of the gospel, what is the peace of the gospel? The peace of the gospel is understanding that my, my future is secure. Once I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my future is not up for debate. My future is secure. We talked about this in another one of the messages. The Bible says that anyone who lives and believes in Jesus Christ will never, 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 never die. My, I know that I'm gonna go on living even after I leave this planet. So how does that become something that gives me readiness to fight? Because the idea of, of shoes in battle at this time, the, 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 the terrain was very rugged. So you could be a very skilled warrior, but if you had really bad shoes, like just regular old sandals, or if you had no shoes at all, God forbid, you wouldn't be able to fight. Even if you, you, weren't, you weren't ready to fight because your feet would get all torn up. So it didn't matter if you were a, a good soldier, you weren't ready to fight until you had a good pair of shoes that had something embedded in the bottom to protect your feet. On the other hand, if you had shoes to fight, even if you weren't a terribly skilled warrior, you were more ready to fight than the guy who didn't have shoes. So how does that all fit together? It fits together because when we talk about the rugged terrain that these guys had to fight on, it reminds me of the broken world that we live in. We, we fight on rugged terrain in this world. We fight on the rugged terrain of sickness and death and goodbyes and all the things that come into our world because of the fact that it's broken. Some, some people have the weird impression that everything that happens on this earth happens because God wants it to happen. That is so not true. We, we have an enemy who's creating all kinds of havoc in the world that we live in. God, God doesn't want us to have to lose loved ones to cancer. God doesn't want us to go through difficult times and people to do evil things and make evil choices. That's part of because we live in a broken world and that is rugged terrain that you're gonna have to traverse. But here's the good news. The good news is when we have the peace of the gospel, meaning I know that nothing I go through in this broken world can separate me from God. 
that my future is secure in God, then I'm ready to go out and fight the battle on the rugged terrain of the broken world that I happen to live in because I know I can't lose that. Paul said this in Romans. He said, can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean no longer, he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And you think he's done, but he's not. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus our Lord. What is Paul saying? You don't have, there is nothing on earth or even one of the translations says under the earth. They, they think it may, well, I don't even know what that is, under the earth. But, but the scripture is saying there is nothing that Satan can threaten you with where the threat actually has teeth. He'll come to you and he'll threaten you, but the, the shoes of preparation says, I can look at death straight in the face and say, you know what, That's still not, that still can't separate me from God. Death can't separate me from God. Cancer can't separate me from God. Having struggles in my family can't separate me from God. Divorce can't, bankruptcy can't. Nothing that I, fo that I face can separate me from God. And it is at that moment that we're like, all right, I'm ready for this now. I'm ready to do this. Can't lose what I have in God. And then the, the shield of faith. Now, if you think about, like, when I think about the, the armor like they have in the castles in England that you can go see and all that, I think of the sort of small shield that your arm goes through. Like, that's what I think of when I think of a shield. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a kind of shield that was like a wall that you carried into battle with you. They were, they were very wide and just, just under five feet tall. And you would advance with it as you were fighting, and then you would plant it down into the ground wherever you were gonna stay, and then it became a, a wall that you would sort of hide behind when the arrows were coming at you. And it was very important because at this time in history, people had started to dip their arrowheads in pitch, in tar, and they would set it on fire and shoot it at you. And it wasn't that fiery arrows were new. They weren't new. The pitch thing was new. The reason that was so effective is when, when pitch hits something, it splatters. So when they would light this on fire and they would shoot it, not only would it set whatever it hit on fire, but it would start little fires everywhere wherever the pitch splattered. I don't know who it is in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but who it is in this room that would say, that's what Satan is doing to me right now. I'm not just having to put out one fire, I'm having to put out like nine fires. Like everywhere I look, I've got another problem that I've got to deal with. And what the Bible says is when Satan is doing that, when he's shooting those fiery arrows at us, that our faith becomes the wall that we can stand behind to be protected. Bible says this, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through, through what? Through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. That is what we have faith in. We have faith that Jesus is the son of God. And faith then translates to behavior driven about my belief about God. I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Hebrews 11 because it says something that it's taken me a while to really process. Faith shows something, it is a demonstration. So because faith demonstrates something, it must be, a, it must be an action and not, not, a, not just a thought. Like I think a lot of people think faith is the way we think about something. But actually faith isn't, isn't a thought pattern, it's a demonstration. Because faith shows something, it demonstrates something. So faith demonstrates what? The reality of what we hope for. And here hope doesn't mean like I hope it rains next week. Hope is a certainty in this case. 
so my faith demonstrates what I am certain of, but what I have not seen yet. And that demonstration then becomes not only something that allows me to live in a, in a reality. Remember what I said about kingdom living. I'm living in the reality of heaven even though I haven't, I, I haven't actually experienced it yet. But not only am I living in that reality, but people around me experience evidence of something they haven't seen either. That's why people will come up to you and say, what is it that you believe in? You're different. Well, what they're noticing is they're noticing your faith. Your faith is evidence to them of something they haven't seen. It's different to them, but they're, they're seeing evidence of something. That's why faith is so powerful. I need to live based on what I believe. The helmet of salvation, what was a helmet for? A helmet was to keep you alive because uh, there were a couple of weapons that, swords, that, that people would go into battle with. One was kind of small and um, you'll, you'll see an example of what the Bible says our sword is here in a minute and it was that kind of sword that the Bible's talking about there. And it was a precise weapon. It was a, a hand-to-hand combat meant to be used very strategically, but then you had a broadsword, which these ancient broadswords were just these just giant, heavy, two-sided swords that you did not use strategically. You just flailed with those, and you hoped to hit somebody's head. They were, they were made to hit somebody's head, because if you hit somebody's head with a broadsword, well, they were done for the day, right? Um, you didn't really survive getting hit in the head with a broadsword unless you had a helmet. That was what the purpose of the helmet was. Was to The whole purpose of the helmet was to keep you from getting hit by one of those one and done kind of things. And I think it's important that we need to understand so often Satan wants to tell us, I gotcha, you're done. Satan wants to say, game over. What just happened? Yeah, you're done. But the thing is, our, our helmet of salvation, what is salvation? It is, it is the expression of the gospel that I just said earlier. The fact that I am saved, when people talk about being saved, what they mean is I was on a track to hell. I, I was actually, because of my sin nature, I was headed in a direction that was bad, terrible, and God then, through his mercy, through his son's sacrifice, saved me from what I would have experienced and now has put me on a new trajectory and now I'm adopted child of God. And so I'm saved from where I was and I'm not perfect, but I'm on a new trajectory now. That's what being saved is about. So the helmet of salvation says, when Satan comes to you and says, game over, you say, I don't think so. Because I'm saved. So that means I can always get up and start over again. I'm gonna skip to a verse because I'm short on time, but I wanna skip to this one that says this. The godly may trip seven times. I don't know that there's any specific um, significance there to the seven other than we think of it as the number of perfection but they will get up again. What does the godly person do? The godly person's gonna trip, but unlike other people, they're gonna get back up. Why are they gonna get back up? Because they understand my future's secure in God so I can start again. I can start again. So that's what the helmet of salvation is about. I'm a child of God, I can always get up again when I fall. The sword of the spirit, now this is about the little sword, this is about the strategic surgical sword that this is something that I use strategically. The Bible says that our sword and our spiritual battle is the word of God. For us it is, it is the Bible. And we've had a lot of people who've come to New Spring from maybe other denominations or, or they've come from some sort of religious background very different from New Spring. And they'll come in and they'll say, you know what was interesting is where I was at before, the Bible was to be revered but it wasn't necessarily to be read. You know, we, we would go to a service and they would read something, but it was not like go home and read your Bible, like people didn't say that. But we want you to understand at New Spring, one of the most important things you can do to get close to God is go read your Bible. Read that love letter from God to you. Find out what God says, it's so important. 
your Bible is a spiritual weapon to be used to fight spiritual enemies. It's not something where you should hear the pipe organ and the stained glass. Get a version of the Bible that you can understand in everyday language and, and dig deep into it and find out what God has to say to you. The more you know your Bible, the more skillfully you can fight your battles. So the belt of truth, I'm just gonna go over these really quickly again because then I need to turn a quick corner. The belt of truth is about this. I won't get tripped up if I follow the truth. The body armor of righteousness is I can't afford to leave my heart unprotected. The shoes of peace from the gospel is I can't lose what I have in God. The shield of faith is I need to live based on what I believe. The helmet of salvation is I'm a child of God. I can always get up again when I fall. And the sword of the spirit is the more I know what God says, the more skillfully I can face life's challenges. Now, quickly, I wanna turn a corner because this has been my concern about this series. When I, when I came up with this series, I had one fear about it and I've always wanted to try to address this at the end of every talk because all of us have room to grow in balance. Sometimes we'll have a series where there, there might be one group of us that needs to work on it more than others, but when it comes to balance, all of us have so much work to do here, and it can be discouraging, because we can go, wow, I've got so much that I need to do to get to where I'm, I feel like I'm at a point where I'm more balanced than I am now. But I don't want this to be a message of discouragement. I want it to be a message of remembering how much God grows us as people. This is area where we can grow. God, it's not about the fact that I'm not where I need to be, it's about the fact that we serve a God who will take us where we need to be. It's about cooperating with what he wants to do in our lives. But I do wanna talk at the very end of this talk to the person who would say, Jonathan, my situation is more discouraging than that. When I see the video of the young lady doing the gymnastics on the, on the promo, if I were to imagine myself in that situation, I would be imagining myself laying on the ground in a heap because I just feel so broken and unable to balance. And when you talk about it, it feels so far away from where I'm at because when I think about where I am with God, I just don't even, I don't even see getting to that point of having balance and I, I just feel completely broken. If that's you, I wanna take you to Jeremiah 18, one of my favorite passages. The Lord had a message for Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is the prophet who is talking to Israel, who's done some stupid stuff, and they're in trouble at this time. He said to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's shop, and I'll speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. That's what we're talking about. That brokenness comes from saying, I, this is, my life's not turning out the way I wanted it to. I don't even think it's turned out the way God wanted it to. So he, the potter, crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Aren't you thankful we serve a God who can start you over? Then the Lord gave me this message. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, think about this, so are you in my hand. God is saying, I, I can start over with you. And there may be a season of crushing there may even be a lump of clay season. I think that's a hard season because we're like, I'm having to start over. But you know what? When you realize you're at that stage, you're almost there because you're getting ready to start a whole new thing. I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute. Because you might be in this room and say, you know, Jonathan, I need to take my first trip to the potter's house. I need to go there for the first time and say, God, make me over again. Let me start over again. I wanna be your child. I wanna. I wanna experience this life as a God follower, as a Christian. And if that's something you've never done before, why, why not do it right now? It's the most important thing you'll ever do in your whole life. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say the words to a very simple prayer that just calls out to God and says, please make me over again, make me God's child. And if you wanna follow along with that with me, you can. You don't need to say it out loud. You can say it silently in your heart, but if you do, God will hear you. Here's that prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died 
and came back to life for me. I understand that I'm broken and I sure can't fix myself, but I'm asking you to make me new. You said you wanna adopt me and I'm saying yes. I wanna follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me in your name. Look this way just for a moment, if you would. If you just prayed with me, you made the biggest decision of your life. Nothing's bigger than that. And we wanna get you started on your new journey with God. The way you could do that is you could text PRAYED to 97,000, the word PRAYED, and they will get this uh, headed your way. There's a box that has some materials to get you started in your new journey with God. Uh, or you could just go to guest services. We wanna get you started in this new amazing journey that you're on. Uh, thank you so much for being here for the Balance Series. We'll start Coffee with Jesus next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.